Amen. Do you know that with all your heart? Are you counting on that with all your heart? Are you trusting in Jesus? I hope so. That's because God has worked that in you. We will turn to the Word now. We looked to the Word a little earlier on Sundays when we're doing communion. We're still in chapter 6. We're really doing a part 2 of the sermon from last week as we get more detail in what it, what it means to die to sin and to live to God, to be in union with Christ, and how just how that changes us. We'll begin to apply this more as we look in verse 12 and following, but this morning we're going to look from 5 to 11, Lord willing. I'm going to read from verse 1 in chapter 6 down through verse 11. And we'll pray and look into the Word. This is God's gracious Word, His gift to us. Let's give it full attention. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's far God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, unless you build the house, we labor in vain. So we pray that you would build the house, that your spirit would take your word and build your church, that you would grant us to know you and love you and rest in you and to know who we are in you that we might lean hard upon you and walk in the way you've called us to walk. Transform our minds with your word, our understanding, our beliefs. Deliver us from our fears and rationalizations and excuses. May, we, may our feet be firmly planted on the rock, which is Christ. Bless me to preach your word in the power of the Spirit, Lord. Bless us to hear it in the power of the Spirit. Bless the preaching and the hearing of the word of God this morning. We cry out for it and trust for it, knowing it's your will. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Time travel is an interesting concept, isn't it? A science fiction concept. At least I used to think so. But I've been proved wrong this morning. We have all entered into time travel. Look at your bulletin. It is May 5th, 2022. You're welcome. 
It is an interesting concept. From H.G. Wills' The Time Machine in 1895 to episodes of Star Trek and Doctor Who to movies like Back to the Future and The Terminator, many wish they could travel to the future or to the past out of curiosity or thinking they'll find something better there. A prototype of the time travel story is found in Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Scrooge is allowed to see both Christmas past, of course Christmas present, and Christmas yet to come if he does not change his ways. And Scrooge's time travel leads to a great change in his thinking and his living. That's what I'm hoping for today. The result of our time travel today, the joke about the bulletin, but time travel through Scripture, sanctified time travel. Today I want to challenge you to do a bit of sanctified time travel and to begin to do it on a daily basis because we want to go back to the cross. We want to go back to the empty tomb. And as we do that, we'll see that it's vital that we see ourselves there and that we see what was accomplished for us when Jesus died. And was raised. See, much greater than Scrooge, if we grasp these things, we will be radically transformed by what we gain from going on our guided tour of the past with the Apostle Paul. See, that we're studying our way through the book of Romans. We've seen Paul prove in the book of Romans from Scripture that all are lost and need a Savior. Apart from someone saving us, we are under condemnation and without hope. But praise God, God has provided a Savior. So we've also seen Him point us to the Lord Jesus Christ and to faith in Him and to justification and salvation in Christ. That we've seen that we are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. It is a free gift to us because Christ lived for us, died for us, was raised for us, is reigning for us. So when we, by God's grace and His Spirit working in us through the Word, respond to that effectual call because He has given us life, we turn and we trust in Christ, we're united to Christ. And we saw that that meant that all of our sins were washed away and that we were clothed in His righteousness and therefore on that basis declared righteous by God. Passing the judgment because we're hidden in Christ. But see, there's more to salvation than justification. There's also sanctification, which is growth and grace. See, more happened to you when you believe than you're aware of sometimes. Paul is telling us that when we came to faith in Christ, we died. Being in union with Christ, we're brought into union or connection. We're engrafted into Christ and become one with Him in His death burial, and resurrection. And that that particular fact has a transforming effect on the way we live. I told you last week, there's something to know before there's something to do. Right? There's the gospel to know so that we're made right with God and we trust in Him. We know it's all of His grace. But even when it comes to our sanctification, there's something for us to know before there's something to do. There's... When we think about sanctification, Dr. Murray has helped us to think both in definitive sanctification and progressive sanctification. Last week and this week, we're talking about definitive sanctification. What does that mean? The moment at which power of sin was broken. We were delivered from slavery into sin. We were made new creations. We were given a new heart. We have the Spirit. We have everything necessary for life and godliness. So I'll point you back to last week's sermon for the groundwork on that. And we're continuing to talk this today about that. We're building up to verse 11. So today we're going to give more detail to our union with Christ in His death and resurrection and just reiterate what it is. Listen, what I'm going to tell you today is something you must believe in your Christian life. You must believe for the health of your soul. You must own this fact, and don't look to your feelings to see if you're going to own it, or to your circumstances to see if you're going to own it. Look to the Word of God and own it because it's true. 
There's something here we must believe in order to do what follows this in verse 6, 7, and 8. It's vital for us. Here's my main point. Believer, you are crucified with Christ and you are raised from the dead with Him. You are crucified with Christ and you are raised from the dead with Him. First, believer, you were crucified with Christ. Paul gives us the fact of our death, and we've seen him sort of uh, give us the doctrine, and now he's kind of expanding upon the doctrine, and we'll move forward. But we're learning what it means to be definitively sanctified, to have that, that reign of sin broken over us. Look back in verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we might be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Uh -uh. That might seem like I'm playing with y'all when I do stuff like that, but not all of you are always going to be here, and you might be in another place where you, I don't care where you are, under my preaching, Corey's preaching, or anybody's preaching, you pay close attention to what they're telling you. You make sure they're preaching the Word to you, and I thank you that all of you are going, no, that's not what that says. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him. So go with me on our time travel trip back to that cross. Because Paul is saying, if we're united with him in death, we're certainly going to be united with him in the life. And then the first thing he says in this text, look at that. We know that our old self was crucified with him. Sanctified, time travel, imagination, you're standing looking at the cross. You're there with those disciples, mourning and looking at the cross Jesus hanging on the cross, dying to sin, dying for our sin, bearing our guilt, we sang. We saw it in the lyrics. Here's my vital question. How many people do you see on that cross? You're tempted to say just one, aren't you? There's more than one. There's more than one up there. There's a multitude up there, including you. Because Jesus was not only interceding for us there, He took us there according to the Apostle Paul. We were crucified with Him. Look at the old hymn. They asked the question, first started appearing in hymnals around 1899. It was probably a, a spiritual for slaves that they developed who had come to the Christian faith and were, were singing songs and, and making writing songs that gave them hope in the midst of their struggle. But it says this, Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble. Tremble, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were, they, were you there when they nailed him to the tree? Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? What is Paul's answer to that? Yes. Yes. Believer, if you're trusting in Christ, if God has worked faith in you, this is all true of you. And this, these are things that we don't think about. We want to go from, from, from justification to doing stuff without knowing the truth about how God changes us. We're, we're, we're tempted to say, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. And I got on to you about that last week. You are a sinner saved by grace, but you're much more than that. You heard it in Dr. Raymond's quote. The moment you trust in Christ, you are constituted a saint. Forget of all your sin, clothed in His righteousness, empowered, changed to live in a new way. See, look back at verse 6a. Look at this. He says, not we, not we think, not this might be. 
Not there's a chance this is true. He says, we know. We know. Remember, this is fundamental. He's asking him, do you not know, in verse 3, that all who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Why? Through union with him. And we talked about that more last week. We know that our old self was crucified with him. We know that our old man was crucified with him. And that's why I'm telling you there's more on that cross than you think. We weren't suffering for our sin, right? He was doing that. But we were in Him. Covenantally, you were in Christ before the foundation of the world. I know. That's, that's not hard to believe, right? Why, why, do I, why do I try to get you to own the fact that you were chosen before the foundation of the world? And it had nothing to do with you. It was all of God's grace. A lot about that we don't understand. Because it's given to us that we might know God in His love and His grace towards us, that we might walk in confidence with Him, right? Reformed theology is nothing other than biblical Christianity, Charles Spurgeon said. That's why I fight for it. Because the security and rest that you want in your soul will only come from it. Because it, to know that salvation is of the Lord. It was Him. It wasn't you. It wasn't your bright idea. Did, what separates you from others is grace. That's all. That's all. But Paul says, look at this. We know that our old man was crucified with him. What is your old person, your old man, your old self? That's you before Christ. Look back at it. Now see, kids, sometimes y'all don't have a reference point for that because you, came, you don't remember a time when you didn't trust Jesus. Praise God for Christian parents that you weren't saved at 26 like me because I got a lot of yuck to look back on that proves Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 true. The person that you were in Adam, remember the Adam in Christ comparison in the last part of chapter 5? The person that you were, the old person, was crucified, dead, and buried with Christ. You died when you came to Christ. You are a new person if you are in Christ. Remember last week, Paul said, new creation. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. You're not schizophrenic. You're not two people. You don't have a white dog and a black dog, and it depends on which one you're feeding, the one that wins. You hear all those, that kind of stuff? You are a new person who was crucified with Christ. The old man is not mostly dead, Princess Bride but completely dead. He's not twitching. He's not moving. There's no blowing air in him. Dead. Now he left behind. We'll talk about this next week. He left behind a lot of sinful patterns and thinking that we have to put to death so that we walk more and more like Jesus. But you're not two people. Your old man was crucified. Look what Paul says in Galatians 2.20. True, true of him through the word, true of us. Personalizing it. Look what he does, based on what he teaches us. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. Stop. We all have to be able to say that and believe it. The old person, the old me, the pre-Christ me, went on that cross and died. With Jesus. Yeah, he left a lot of patterns that I'm working on, but he went, he died. Look at what Paul says. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So if you've come to faith in Christ, if you're trusting in Jesus, you are one of the people who can and should say this, I have been crucified with Christ. My old man died with Jesus. And don't billy goat. Yeah, but. But, 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 but. Remember Robert Raymond said, it doesn't mean we're sinlessly perfect yet, but we've had a radical change. 
of status, a radical change of nature that we must own before we'll have a radical, consistent, growing change of life. I died with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Paul in, in, in Romans 5, 6, our old self was crucified with him. What was the purpose, Paul? Why was he crucified? Why was I crucified? Why was I on that cross with Jesus? Not paying the penalty for my own sin, but dying with him to sin. Look at he says in verse 6 in the end of it. In order that the body of sin might be done away. This is the result of our death. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Body of sin, the physical body as a sphere where sin reigned. That reign was destroyed. It's not physical death. But it ends the body's role as an inescapable tool of sin. See, I, a lot of us say, I, 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 I can't help it. I just can't help it. I'm trapped in it. I got to do it. I try to say no. Well, that's the problem. You're just trying to say no. You're not owning who you are in Christ Jesus. Our flesh will help us make excuses, but we have to believe this. Some of y'all are looking at me like snakes are coming out of the side of my head. And I'm sad about that because nobody's, not many people have taught you this. The result of our death is, is that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, that, that body be, our physical body is being used as a realm or a sphere for sin to reign, and the manifestation of that is we're no longer enslaved to sin. We're no longer enslaved to sin. If we have trusted in Christ, that's because God worked that in us. We were crucified with Christ. We were united with Him in His death. Remember union. We come to faith in Jesus. The Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. We are hidden in Him so that everything true of Him, savingly speaking, is true of us. Righteous, died, raised, new life. If you're trusting in Christ, you're no longer enslaved to sin. Sin no longer reigns over you. Its reigning enslaving power has been shattered. It is no longer your master. Yes, there are sinful habits and thought patterns left behind that sometimes we just adopt and hope it'll get better someday. But in order for it to get better, we have to own who we are and we have to believe the Word of God. We have to know and apply sound theology. Look at verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. And again, that doesn't mean we never practice sin now. It means sin's reign over us has been broken. We have a new master. Remember the verse we quoted last time. We've been delivered from the dominion of darkness transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin. Look at me, Christian. You're a new creature. You're not the same old person. Your old person was crucified with Christ, and that was done in order that you would no longer be enslaved to sin. If you're trusting in Christ, these things are true of you. This is your emancipation proclamation this morning. I mean, it happened way before now. I'm bringing it to your attention. This is your spiritual 13th Amendment. You're no longer a slave. Your spiritual slavery has been abolished. This is good news that you must believe. And look at me. Stop looking at your life. Stop looking at your thoughts, your feelings, your circumstances. Look at the Word of God. Amen. Sanctify them by your truth, Jesus says. Your Word is truth. This is the truth that sanctifies us. See, many slaves had a hard time believing the good news of emancipation. Some stayed enslaved longer than they should have because they, it was too good to be true. 
They were not quite sure what to do with their freedom. In fact, that, that slavery had kind of brought a security to some of their lives. Just like prison, you can become institutionalized so that when you get out, you don't know what to do. You really don't even want to leave sometimes. But thanks be to God that we have the Spirit working in us so that we'll not only see the statement of our delivery, but believe it and own it and see that He explains everything we need to walk in the truth of this in His Word. Remember, listen, I'm just hammering you, but I, you have everything necessary for life and godliness through a knowledge of Him and His precious promises. You are a new creature with a new heart with the Holy Spirit living in you, that God promises to apply His Word to you and grow you, grow you. Not perfect you all at once, but grow you more and more and more into the image of Christ. And that process is blunted. It's not stopped, but it's blunted when, we're, when we don't know who we are in Christ and when we don't own who we are in Christ. You have to believe you've been set free. Believer, you were crucified with Christ. And we'll, we will definitely speak more about that. But we didn't just die with Christ. Look at number two. You were raised from the dead with Christ. See, our second stop in our gospel time travel is that empty tomb. What do you see? Who was raised? Who came out of the grave? Now, if you were there watching it somehow that day, you would have seen Christ come out, right? You wouldn't have seen a vast multitude come out. But through union with Christ, you know that He not only carried us to the cross and into that grave, but He carried us out into resurrection and new life. He was raised, and in Him we were raised. Back to that hymn, a few, couple of verses. Were you there when they laid Him in the tomb? Were you there when they laid Him in the tomb? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble, and it should. Tremble, tremble. Were you there when they laid Him in the tomb? Now, the last question in the hymn. Were you there when God raised Him from the tomb? Were you there when God raised Him from the tomb? Sometimes it causes me to tremble. Tremble, tremble, were you there when God raised him from the tomb? And Paul's answer again is a shouting, resounding yes. If you're a child of God, if you were trusting in Christ this morning, you were there. In him. Union with him. Look at verse 8. Now if we died with Christ, now watch these words. We believe. Do you believe? Question to ask yourself. We believe that we will also live with Him. If we've died with Him in union with Him, we believe, not guess, not hope, we believe that we'll also live with Him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. See, Christ blew the doors off not only his grave, but ours. Y'all know when he came out, he didn't just roll the stone away, that it was blown away from the tomb. Why do you think they played dead, the, the Roman guards and the angels were there? But anyway, he blew the, the doors off his grave and ours. If you're trusting in him, he carried you out. Death has been defeated. You are raised to new life. If you're in your high priest, you have everything. If you have anything in him, you have everything that he promised to bring. Death to sin. Resurrection to new. Do you remember the high priest's clothing? And you remember you read through and you see the stones on his shoulders with the names of the tribes of Israel? His shoulders are a place of strength and security. He carries his people, right? You picture a shepherd carrying a, a sheep back to the flock. But his strength 
is what carries us. And how about on this chest? Those stones, each one engraved with a, a name of one of the tribes of Israel, over his heart, his affection, his love for his people. Therefore, he intercedes. All of, I mean, go read the rest of the dress. All of that pointing us to Christ and picturing Christ. Christ carried us out of death. And Paul says, we believe. And I'm asking you, do you believe? Maybe you're not a Christian this morning. Maybe you have no idea what I'm talking about. Christ, Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came incarnate, God incarnate, born in a, in a manger, a place where the animals stayed, laid in a feed trough. He was born in humility under his own law and he fulfilled it in thought, word, and deed, never sinning once. He took our guilt upon himself and died to pay the penalty for our sins. He took hell upon himself on the cross and because he was God and man, he could drink that dry and say before he gave up his spirit, it is finished. He was buried. He was raised the third day from the grave. Best proven fact in history. Resurrection proves the whole story is true. Christ is Lord. Christ is Savior. And the good news is he gives you salvation as a free gift because he's earned it. He's lived for it. He's died for it. He's, he's been buried for it. He's been raised for it. He's reigning for it. Such that Paul had told us if we turn and trust in Jesus, it's a free gift. He's a free gift to us. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. It's what Paul told the Philippian jailer, what I'm telling you. And I'm telling you this morning, believe on him and he will save you. Trust him and he will save you. Look to him. Cry out to him like the publican. God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and he will save you. And once he saves you, then know what that means. Know what he's delivered you from. Know what he's delivered you to. Because Paul says we, 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 we know that we were crucified with him, but we also believe that we were raised with him and we will live with him and he'll never die again. You have been raised to newness of life, life of repentance, life of growth in grace, life of devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look in, Rome, in Ephesians 2 for, with me for a second. Verses 4 through 6. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. See the union language there? By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Raised with Christ. Ascended with Christ. Seated with Christ. In some sense reigning with Him now. You are seated in the heavenly places, speaking of salvation as though it's full and complete and true, and you're there with Him because in union with Him, you are there with Him. You are raised with Christ. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. Look at verse 9. We know that Christ, look again, we know, we know, we're not guessing, we know. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And child of God, death no longer has dominion over you. Yes, you will die unless Jesus comes back. You will go through physical death, but that is just a shuttle ride to glory. It's been defanged. The angels will wing you to your Savior and you'll be with him awaiting the resurrection and the new body. When it says that Jesus died to sin here, it doesn't mean that he was a sinner and then he died to it, but it, it's talking about him taking our place and dying for us, dying to sin's guilt and penalty because he took that upon himself for us and he did it once for all. Look at me, sin's guilt and power have no more authority over you if you're trusting in Christ. The law as a condemning judge, has no more authority over you if you're trusting in Christ. 
That doesn't mean we don't have any more relationship with it. But as a covenant of works, as a way to make yourself right, which you could never do, as a condemning judge, he's taken that for you. And it's all free. Look at Hebrews 10, 12 to 14. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, once for all, same language, that's what it means. It doesn't mean he did it for every single person. It means he did it one time for all time. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Now look at 14. Watch this. Own this. Believe that. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. If you're being sanctified, that means you have been justified. It means God has brought you to faith in Jesus. And as far as the completion is concerned, by a single offering of His Son, He has perfected you forever. That's where I want you to stand. That's what I want you to believe. That you have died with Christ and been raised with Christ. That you are a new creature. That you, before the judgment bar of God, are perfected. You have a perfect record. Remember our justification. Because He cleansed us from all of our sin and credited us with His righteousness. And now He's applying that to us, making us more and more like Christ. By a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. His death perfects for all time those whom He's sanctifying. Not everybody, but those who He's sanctifying. You see it there? And it tells us he lives to God. He's no longer dead. He's living. He's seated. He's reigning. He's enjoying. So if we get the gospel, we'll get all of the gospel and the good news for our justification as well as the good news for our sanctification that we've been united to Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. We were crucified with him, buried and died. You know, why do we bury people? Unless you're torqued in the head, it's because they're dead. And raised with him, Paul says, to newness of life. These are fun theological facts that we can take or leave, right? No. My third and last point, believer, you must think this way. And I'm not making this up. Y'all see, I'm just, this is clearly on the page. Verse 11. Watch this. Now, I want you to watch the first few words. Why I said you must think this way. Don't listen to me. Listen to God. Listen to Paul. This is the word of God. Listen to God. So, he's starting to apply this glorious truth of definitive sanctification of our union with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. So, you also must consider. Believer, you must Consider this. Believer, that doesn't mean to see if it's true or not. Believer, you must think this way. Believer, you must think this way. That word for consider means to think about something in a detailed and logical manner. To deeply consider. To adopt these things as true. This is vital truth that you cannot live without, is truth that you must adopt if you will live for Christ, which is what God's called you to and what He's working in you. Look what he says. You, speaking to the believers, the one he wrote the letter to, we don't have time to go to that, to you if you're trusting in Christ through this and through them and through this word. So you also must consider Yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You must logically, detailed way, adopt these things as true of you. You must consider yourself this way. And don't say, well, I just don't know if I can believe that. Well, I'm just not sure about it. Well, to the extent that you're doing that, you're arguing with God's word. Christ was raised from the grave. This is the truth, and God is telling us we must think this way. You're, you died to sin, and you're alive to God in Christ Jesus if you're in Him. 
I know maybe you have never heard many sermons like this, but I want you to know who you are so that you can then be what you're supposed to be. Think about this. We're five and a, five and a half chapters into Romans. This is the first command. This is the first command in the book. And you'll see that in Ephesians and Colossians that Paul lays a gospel foundation before he starts getting to the now live this way part. And the, the sort of capstone on the foundation he's laying in Romans is this about our thinking. Remember, we'll get to chapter 12 and see that our thinking has to be transformed. And this is part of that. But he says in verse 11, you must think this way. So this is our application today. Paul just gave it to us. And I'm going to repeat it because that's one of the laws of learning. And uh, you'll get tired of hearing about the definition of sanctification too until you memorize it. Um, but... <laughs> Look what, it, look what he says here. You must believe. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Believer, you are dead to sin. Dead to its reign. It can't make you do anything. You can never say like Flip Wilson, I said last week, the devil made me do it. No, you chose to. You can't say as a Christian, sin made me do it. I can't help it. You can't say that. That's, called, that's not confession. That's called rationalization. Justification. Right? I'm not saying you won't do that. Yes, we will sin, and we have to go and confess it and grow in grace. That's all true. But who you are in Jesus is one who has died their sins reign. Sin no longer reigns over you. It's no longer your master. It can't make you do anything. To, to be dead to sin is to be dead to a, per se, a pervasive love of sin. To be dead to the ruling power of sin so that sin is no longer your master. It can tempt you, but it can't make you do anything anymore. Own it as a gospel fact. Consider it too true. Believe it and live it out. So when you're tempted, don't look anywhere else but to Christ. When you're tempted, you can, in Christ and in, his, in the resources of the Spirit with the Word, you can say, I do not have to obey sin. Sin's power over me has been broken. I died to sin's rule. Christ is my master now. The Spirit empowers me to live for Christ by the Word. And love of God is my goal. Go, go read in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 where Paul says that, that with every temptation, God provides a way of escape. There's always a way of escape. There's always a way out. But if we don't know who we are in Christ, and if we believe lies about ourselves that we're just sinners and we can't help it, then we're not going to be looking for that way out. We're going to indulge the flesh and then ask for forgiveness. And many people will say silly things like it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. That's pagan heart. Now you might be a Christian and have some stinky thinking left over. The Spirit empowers me to live. You won't live perfectly. You will sin. You will have to confess it. But I'm, I'm telling you, you will sin far less if you own who you are in Christ. And you'll sin far more if you don't. And that always had, sin always has devastating consequences, not only in your life, but in the lives of those around you. But love your saint. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep, maybe keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The gospel ought to make us love him and ought to make us love who he is for us and know who we are in him so that we purpose to follow him and live for him. So when sin tempts me, I can say, not my master anymore. Look to Jesus. Look to the cross. Look to the empty grave. Your death with Him. Your resurrection with Him. Think about Joseph. These are, you know, Old Testament guy. Pictures Christ. What did he say when Potiphar's wife wanted him to do what he shouldn't do? How can I sin, do this great evil, and sin? That was his first thing. Sin against God. Before he thought about his relationship to people... How can I do this great sin against God? Believer, you are dead to sin if you are in Christ, which means you're dead to its reign. It can't make you do anything. 
you're empowered for, secondly, new life. You are alive to God. And remember, I'm only talking to those of you who are trusting in Christ this morning. Yes, you can come to Christ, and then these things will all be true of you. But if you are claiming faith, if you are trusting God, you're alive to God. You've been raised to newness of life, verse 4. You're alive to His gracious rule in Christ. See, before, before we came to Christ, we were, we were dead to God and alive to sin. We were unresponsive to God. We justified, made things our own way. We went our own way. If He ever lined up with that, we were good with that, right? But we were dead to His reign and alive to sin's reign before we came to Christ. And that can look like religion or it can be done religiously as well as non-religiously. But now we're dead to sin and alive to God. You must consider yourself alive. See, that's what Paul's saying. You've got to think this way. Because he's going to go on to then start talking about how we live. But this is the foundation for that. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. So when tempted, think of God first. Bring His truth to mind. You've been raised with Christ to new life, to a life of repentance and growth and grace. This is the Christian life, a life of repentance and growth and grace, a life of sanctification. And that life has been purchased for you and applied to you. You are alive to God. You have been emancipated from slavery in sin by His grace. Christ is your master now, and God is in work in you for good works if you know him. I'll go back to Ephesians 2 before I quit. We love to quote verses 8 and 9. Sometimes we don't understand verse 10 very well or even quote it. But look at, look at this, 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Four, connecting thoughts. We are His workmanship. See, we're born again because He worked that in us. We're His workmanship. He recreated us. We're new creatures. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. For what purpose? Good works. Now watch this. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He's in control. Good works are works that are in accord with His Word, done by the Spirit, out of love for God and a desire to glorify Him. God created us in Christ Jesus. He saved us. He recreated us so that we might walk in growing, joyful obedience to Him. And the first step in that, after becoming a Christian, is to know who you are in Christ and to know about your union with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection so that you think this way. You also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Own Christ... If, that, if you're a Christian, you own that of yourself. I don't understand it. I don't always feel like it. Circumstances don't always prove it. But God's Word tells it to me. I'm in Christ, so I am dead to sin. It's reign over me. And I am alive to God. His reign over me in Christ Jesus. Before Christ, I was walking dead to God and alive to sin. Now I'm walking dead to sin and alive to God in Him. We'll talk more about these things. We need to move on. But a Christmas carol that we talked about at the first part, a Christmas carol is a made-up story with a few good moral lessons. But the gospel is the very truth of God, and it always changes the life. True conversion flowers into a new life of faith in Christ, of growing joyful obedience, because we are and know it and own it that we are both dead and alive. Dead to sin and alive to God. That's who you are if you are in Christ. Are you in Him? To live is Christ. Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I cry this out so many times. Help us to believe You. Help us to believe Your Word. Help us to not be afraid of our emancipation, to think it's too good to be true, to think it's pie in the sky or, or because your word, it's on your word. We're dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We have everything necessary for life and godliness, both outside of ourselves and in ourselves. Having come to faith by your grace, we're new creatures in Christ. We're part of the new creation brought back into time.
We have a new heart. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. We have the Gospel. We have one another to spur us on to love and good deeds. Help us to believe your word. I pray for every Christian listening to me that we would own it, really, really own it, so that we can live out of it as we'll flow on in Romans 6, the fact that we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And may that grace, may that glory keep us in awe of you and your amazing grace. And spur us to not only live for you, but to tell others about this great and glorious salvation that is ours in Christ. Lord, I pray for us. I pray for us as your people. I pray for those who know you, maybe that are listening to me me this morning, that have sort of grown cold to reading your word and spending time in your word, that you would rekindle that fire. For those who have grown cold to spending time with you in prayer, that you would rekindle, that you would revive us, Lord. For those even now, having heard this and seen it directly from your word, have doubt running through their minds. Eradicate that doubt with the truth of your word. That sin's reign over us has been broken and that we are We died with Christ in union to Him and we have been raised to new life and that you're working that in us. Lord Jesus, help us to love you knowing that you loved us first. Help us to love you and help us to love one another the way you've loved us with that gracious and merciful and forgiving love that thinks the best and encourages one another in the faith instead of whatever other options are. Plant our feet firmly on the rock which is Christ. Root us and ground us in Christ. Root this word into us. Help us to own who we are in Jesus. That we might be people of love. Love of God. Love of neighbor. Love of one another and love of you, Lord Jesus. And keep your commandments. Lord, save and sanctify your people, we pray. In Jesus' holy name, amen.